Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Gerald Cotton was Bitcoin's Bernie Madoff. He ran Canada's biggest crypto exchange, Quadriga, like it was a small-time Ponzi scheme, embezzling hundreds of millions of dollars from his customers, and then gambling most of it away. But the people who knew him say they had no idea what he was up to. For this episode, I spoke with a friend of Jerry's, a Bitcoin security expert named Michael Perklin. Now, Jerry didn't have many close friends, but according to someone who knew him well, he thought very highly of Michael. So I asked Michael what he thought of Jerry when he was alive and what he thinks of him now. I'm Aaron Lammer. Welcome to Exit Scam, a podcast about a mysterious death and a missing fortune. This is part five, The Old Friend. Could you tell me um, your name and uh, what you've been doing professionally? Sure. So my name is Michael Perklin. I'm the Chief Information Security Officer of Shapeshift by day. Uh, Shapeshift is a platform that allows you to send, receive, and trade Bitcoin. So would it be safe to say that you are involved in security in the crypto space? Yes, I, I first got involved with blockchain technology in, in late 2010. And so it's, it's almost a full 10 years now that I've been working with Bitcoin, Ethereum, and, and related technologies. When did you uh, first come across Gerald Cotton? When I decided to start working on Bitcoin full-time, I started my own uh, Bitcoin-focused digital investigative firm. And my... My small burgeoning uh, consultancy needed an office. So I found a co-working space downtown Toronto, and I, I, I rented a desk there. It's one of those places where, you know, if you pay so much a month, you get access to their Wi-Fi, their printer, their tea kettle, and, you know, away you go, and you get a desk. So Jerry was working out of this co-working space as well, which I thought was uh, surprising because he was running a Bitcoin exchange. But as, as I... As I talked to him a little bit more, I understood that the headquarters were in Vancouver, but he has family near the Toronto area, so he comes to Toronto semi-frequently. And having a co-working space rather than a full-on office is cheaper to maintain, and it suited his flexible work style. What were your interactions at the co-working space like? Uh, what kind of what was Jerry like as a guy to sit next to? Uh, I enjoyed our conversation. He, he was a smart guy, uh, a humble guy. Um, 
whenever we talk about a variety of uh, computer science problems that were solved uh, or that needed to be solved, I remember discussing with uh, with Jerry, with Gerald Cotton, with Vitalik Buterin, and with uh, uh, Jeff Coleman. Um, the four of us were working together in the co-working space, and we were trying to solve distributed identity. Um, he he was. Uh, keeping up with all the other computer scientists in, uh, in the room. Did Jerry know Vitalik uh, Buterin outside of the co-working space? For people listening, Vitalik Buterin is the founder of Ethereum. I don't know, but uh, they definitely knew of each other. They definitely met. Um, uh, yeah, we were all working in the same co-working space uh, back in Toronto in, in 2014. Um, oh. Ethereum was, was launched in that co-working space. What did Jerry think about Ethereum and other altcoins? Great question. Um, I actually remember this one. Um, at the time, uh, like most people, uh, I was a Bitcoin maximalist. Jerry was different. Jerry said, yeah, I mean, I know that Bitcoin is always going to be on top. But, you know, to the extent that this coin or that coin uh, has some value and somebody wants to trade it, you know, what, what's the harm in me facilitating that? He had a very capitalist view on that. And that actually mirrored um, some of the other uh, political views that I remember him sharing, uh, uh, municipal politics at the time for the, um, the election of famed mayor um, Rob Ford. What were Jerry's politics? Jerry never shared his actual opinions on politics. He, uh, whether it was um, just because he wasn't comfortable enough to share it, or he recognized that um, the moment he starts sharing an opinion that's the opposite of anyone else in the room. Now it becomes a him versus them. And uh, his whole purpose at all these meetups was to attract interest into his platform. And if he would be, you know, the person on the other side of the political spectrum, somebody may choose not to put money on his uh, platform. So he actually overheard me recommending his exchange to somebody else at one of the Bitcoin meetups. I had only used Quadriga once or twice. But when I was talking to somebody new who was asking about Bitcoin, I said, oh, yeah, you could sign up at CA Vertex. But also, there's another exchange, Quadriga. It looks like it's easier to use. He overheard that conversation. And the next morning, he said, hey, so do you remember that guy that you told to use Quadriga? Well, they ended up creating an account last night after the meetup, and they deposited a rather significant amount of Bitcoin. They're doing business on my platform because of you. I want to give you the referral for that. This referral system, or there was a referral system on Quadriga where, you know, if, if you share your link with somebody and they sign up, you get a small fraction of a penny of their trade volume. He wanted that to be tracked to me because it was technically me who referred him, even though it was verbally and not by a link. So he linked that up, and that was the first time that I really, I guess, started referring people to his exchange. It was, it was mostly in passing verbally. Did you uh, become a customer to his exchange? I started using his exchange in 2014 and stopped using it when it when it shut down in, in early 2019. And so you were at the co-working space with him. Um, would you hang out? Would you have lunch? I had lunch with him a couple of times. We commiserated over our respective bodies and their inabilities to process one compound or another. I myself... I don't tolerate people who are intolerant of others, and I also don't tolerate lactose. Jerry didn't tolerate people who are intolerant of others, 
and his body didn't tolerate gluten. So we joked about that, and yeah, he would order his burgers without buns, and I would order my burgers without cheese, but we'd eat burgers the same. And I mentioned to him that I had another friend who, who has uh, Crohn's disease, and she's you know very healthy and, and living with it, and he seems that he had no problems with it either. Did you and Jerry ever talk about you consulting on Quadriga? Um, I definitely did uh, offer my services because uh, at, at the time I did security work for CA Vertex, the largest Canadian exchange for the Ethereum Foundation and for a variety of other um, uh, clients. So I, I definitely had the track record of delivering on my uh, my security consulting. Um, but for one reason or another, Jerry never took me up on um, on my offers. Um, I just assumed it was uh, either because Quadriga didn't have a lot of money at the time because it was a very new uh, exchange, so he didn't want to pay for a consultant, um, or maybe one of the many other people that he's working with is already a security expert and is providing all that stuff in-house. Uh, I didn't dive too deep into why he said no. I just knew he said no, and I was like, okay, well, let's uh, let's go to lunch. So you're sitting there, um, you're investigating hacking, crime, thefts. Did you discuss any of this stuff with Jerry over these lunches? Um, uh, I did talk about one particular case that led me to London and then Dubai, chasing a criminal who stole a lot of Bitcoin from another exchange. I touched on some of the the ways that I was able to identify him and prove that he stole this amount of money and not that amount of money and how the blockchain forensics was uh, able to do that. And he was interested in, in that. I assumed just as somebody who runs a Bitcoin business and who at some point might need to worry about investigating you know, the source of funds or, you know, if something gets stolen, how can you track all this? I assumed it was just professional interest in that. But now, of course, after all this, maybe was taking a keen interest because the allegations are true. And he did squirrel away all this money and is somehow living in secret, spending it all. Did Jerry ever say or do anything that made you suspicious? Not quite. Um... So we wanted to make an educational conference that would teach people relevant skills about Bitcoin for accountants, for lawyers. How do you deal with anti-money laundering laws for police officers and investigators? How do you trace Bitcoins and trace crimes so that you you can catch the bad guys? Uh, We wanted to have an exchange there. So Jerry agreed to sponsor C4 for this conference. I believe his, the, the the Quadriga sponsorship amount was uh, was ten thousand Canadian dollars, which wasn't nothing at the time. Well, I guess it's still not nothing today, but it, it it wasn't like a peanut investment, is what I'm saying. Quadriga took it seriously, and they even advertised on their website that every single one of their staff members was a certified Bitcoin professional, and they only hire CBPs at Quadriga. So it was great marketing for us. It was a great way for our attendees to get onboarded. Right then and there, with any with an exchange, when it came to the day of the conference, he didn't show up. I emailed him saying, "Hey, your booth is currently empty. Uh, you paid ten thousand dollars for it. What's up? If you can't make it, maybe you can send uh, another one of your staff members in your place. Really, we just need someone to, you know, check IDs and, and onboard like hundreds of customers to your exchange. Like this is something that I'm sure you want to do." 
in the end, I never found out why he didn't show up. But I guess when all this was uh, was surfacing about Quadriga and the allegations that you know Jerry took the money rather than it being inaccessible, one thing that I know would be consistent is um, at a conference where you know there are dozens of police officers and cybercrime investigators attending to learn how to trace Bitcoin for their for their investigations. If you are scamming you know, millions of people around Canada, but with your fake exchange, the last thing you'd want to do is show your face and rub shoulders with the very people who would likely be tasked with investigating you if your jig comes up. So that's a speculation of why he might not have shown up. Did you know that parents rank financial literacy as the number one most difficult life skill to teach? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app for families. With Greenlight, you send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and keep an eye on your kids' spending with real-time notifications. Kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. And parents can rest easy knowing their kids are learning about money with guardrails in place. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Do you remember the last time you saw Jerry? I last saw Jerry, it would have been December 2016. And shortly before I left Toronto to work at Shapeshift full-time, and one of the last things that I needed to do was essentially close down my Quadriga account and get all the funds taken out of there uh, before I can you know, get on the plane and leave Toronto. I was on a tight deadline. And in the past, Jerry had, I guess, been very friendly to me with my deposits and withdrawals with Quadriga because he knew who I was, he knew where I worked, he knew where I lived, he'd been in my home. So... We agreed to meet in a Starbucks. I met him in person. He gave me the, the check in my hand. We shared uh, a, a coffee and a tea together. And then uh, we, we went on our ways. I said, yeah, I don't know when I'm going to be back in Toronto, but uh, I'll, I'll hit you up when I am. And I never saw him after that. What was your reaction when you first heard about his death? When I first heard that Jerry had passed away, I thought it was a huge shame. Jerry was only ever a, a good guy. I've only ever seen him being a a nice man. I yeah. I, my my first reaction was, oh man, that sucks. Uh, the shitty things always happen to the to the good people. Did you know Jennifer Robertson? Never heard the name. It was never mentioned. Um, it, I, it surprised me when I learned that he was married. Uh, after I, I read uh, that he had passed away, I learned that he was married in the in the year prior. He never mentioned her. After he died, uh, what was the general sentiment in the Bitcoin community? Online, people were 
saying that he's an exit scammer and he faked his own death and he stole everyone's money. And I was like, no, there's no way he did that. He, that he's just not, he doesn't seem like that type of person. Um, <laughs> let's not drag a man's name through the mud when we don't know what happened. You know, this, this sucks. The money's currently inaccessible, but let's wait to hear more information before we jump to any conclusions. And, you know, report after report would come out. And each time I would defend Jerry's name because I knew him, I like he, he was never he never seemed like a bad guy. He never did anything to me that would indicate that he was a bad actor. So Ernst and Young is acting as the independent monitor between Quadriga on one side and all the users on the other side. Now, uh, the monitor reports that were released by E&Y have said a lot of stuff. And a lot of it is rather jaw-dropping evidence that they found that shows, just at the very least, how poorly Jerry ran Quadriga from a fiscally responsible perspective, but at most, just how egregious his crimes were and how brazen he was in stealing his customers' money. But then when I read that Monitor report that outlined the lack of separation between Quadriga funds and user funds, uh, paying contractor bills with withdrawals of user funds rather than coming out of Quadriga balances, him withdrawing user funds and depositing it on another exchange to make margin leveraged bets, just like line after line after line of, of that monitor report left my jaw dropping and dropping and dropping. And I guess at some point mid-2019, my tune changed from Let's not jump to any conclusions, guys. Jerry is a good guy unless proven otherwise. To, oh, wow, that was clearly an exit scam. He, he knowingly performed actions that essentially defrauded the users of his exchange. And I think the only reason why I got out unscathed is because over the years, I had referred probably thousands of people to the exchange whether it be from my tweets, my emails, some of my clients that I, I would work with, family, friends, or people who I just mentioned it to at a, at a meetup. And he knew that by keeping me happy, it would likely be more money for him in the long run. And a lot of the people who you referred to Quadriga must have lost a lot of money. Did any of that come back on you? Nobody blames me. Um, a lot of people I know did lose uh, a lot of money. I lost some money as well, though thankfully in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't a lot. But some of my friends and family, they deposited, traded, and withdrew within an hour. But that withdrawal was never processed. And they waited and they waited and they pinged uh, support and then they pinged me and I pinged Jerry by text message and like, hey, a buddy of mine's wondering why the withdrawal isn't happening. And like, all in, if I were to add up all the people that I know who have shared with me, I lost X dollars, I lost Y dollars. It's in the millions. So now that you've read the Fifth Monitor's report, which you referred to, what is your understanding of what Jerry was up to this whole time? My understanding may not match reality, but I believe that um, it was his intent from day one to get as much money for himself as he could. And while one way of doing that is to run a very successful and profitable business where you are taking all of your um, profits 
The other way is to steal a lot of money from a lot of people. And by operating in the way that he did, creating these accounts to create fake volume, to raise the profile of his exchange to attract more people and get those deposits in so that he can use those deposits for his own purposes. Like for somebody to, to set things up so that they don't have a strict separation between somebody else's money and my money, that right there is not necessarily intent to deceive, but when you couple that with all the other actions described in that monitor report, there's no doubt in my mind, as the available balance in the exchange is getting lower and lower to the point where it is now starting to be noticed, magically, he is out of the picture. And uh, like, if there was a, an opportune time to perform an exit scam, it was in December 2018. Um, again, I don't know that he did. Uh, as far as I know, as, as far as all your uh, your listeners know, uh, he went to India and he died there. Um, but like, just looking at the numbers, it, it's so coincidental that when the, the the last bit of juice is squeezed out of the lemon and there's pretty much just a a husk of what used to be left over, suddenly, oh, he's gone. Yeah, there's also no more money to be stolen. What a coincidence. I'll ask point blank. Do you think he faked his death? I think he's the type of person who could have if he, if he chose to. In my conversations with him, he had a working familiarity with uh, encryption and Tor and privacy. He had a working familiarity with hiding his identity online. And it was seemingly from whatever stuff he was doing before he got involved with Bitcoin, um, which I never really got any elaboration on. Um, when he would come to my home, he said, yeah, I was just coming from my helicopter lesson. He was taking helicopter lessons and uh, pilot's license, uh, lessons to earn his, his licenses. Now, with these licenses, you are able to move from one small island in this country to another small island in that country without needing to go through a commercial airport where you have to show a passport and you have to show ID and, and there's a record of you moving from one to another. Uh, as long as you stay in, in countries and in areas where you don't really deal with the Western world that much, uh, and if you have the skills of flight and you have the knowledge of online privacy, and you have a big wealth of privacy coins in your cash, you don't need to worry about ever going to North America or Europe again. Um, you can essentially retire and stay in uh, in the middle of, uh, of the third world for the rest of your life. I don't know if I will ever be able to answer your question directly with yes or no, I think he did or I think he did not. But I, but looking back with a new set of eyes on all the things that I saw while I was with him, um, not, nothing triggered a, um, uh, a concern with me. But in hindsight, looking at how he didn't show up to my conference where there was a lot of cops there and how he was able to... Um, participate in very highly technical discussions that I was having 
with Vitalik and, and Jeff Coleman at the time. Uh, so he had this knowledge. And uh, seeing the uh, new skills he was acquiring uh, for flying both helicopters and planes. And, uh, like, yeah, he definitely could have. Did you read about all the stuff that um, Jerry got into before his Bitcoin days as a teenager and a young person online? Yes, I did. Um, I went down that rabbit hole myself uh, one night, and uh, if it was him, if for, for, for your listeners' benefit, um, uh, there is a variety of forum posts that... Uh, Somebody is writing, looking for uh, help with uh, designing this platform, uh, what we believe could have been Quadriga, or uh, help with lists of credit card numbers and, and like uh, laundering funds and uh, a whole bunch of things like that on darknet forums uh, specifically for those purposes. And people allege that these were Jerry's accounts, and it shows that he was performing money laundering and credit card fraud long before Quadriga uh, was was started. We're talking about the handles Scepter and later Murdoch. Yeah, he never mentioned any of those in any of my um, conversations with him, but it would be consistent with a variety of um, uh, anecdotes of my conversations with him because he already knew and understood PKI, uh, public key in, uh, infrastructure, very well. He understood encryption. He understood uh, Tor and privacy and um, uh, masking your location. Like he understood all that very well, um, bef- like seemingly before he even started with Quadriga. Now, if he was hanging out on these forums and he really was Scepter and Murdoch, then yeah, that's where he got that knowledge. Credit card numbers and expiry dates, people's home addresses. Oftentimes, these lists are used for for identity theft and opening mortgages in other people's names, or for charging things to other people's credit cards and otherwise stealing money from people. And these users, Scepter and Murdoch, are communicating with other users, either requesting specific things or helping others perform these types of, of frauds against unsuspecting victims. I never saw any, any proof that these were Jerry's accounts, but I also, I mean, who knows? I could be. Do you think Jerry set off to make a fraudulent exchange and succeeded? Or do you believe that he had good intentions and something went wrong? No, I don't think that something went wrong at, at some point. Uh, based on the information in the monitor report, it was clear from the earliest days, he was setting up bots to fake trade volume to make it appear like his exchange was used a lot more than it, it, it was in reality. That's an intent to deceive your customers. Like right out of the gate, from the earliest days, he was deceiving people to enrich himself. He makes the name of a fake contractor. He pays that contractor for services rendered. But in reality, he's just moving money to himself. And then combine that with a bunch of apparently unprofitable trades on a platform. And now what looks like a really shitty trade is actually laundering the money. And indeed, if you read the Monitor Report, they make reference to a number of recipients of larger sums of, uh, of cryptocurrency. They don't name those recipients. 
those recipients could have been accomplices or they could have been Jerry himself. Uh, I don't think there was a breaking point that he, where he turned from good to bad. If there was such a point, I think that point was before he opened Quadriga. And I think he was really good at um, projecting one image in person, which I saw as a very nice gentleman. But in reality, he was just putting on a nice mask to take as much money as he could. Looking back, how do you feel about the statements you gave in support of Jerry? Honestly, it's made me doubt my um, ability to assess someone's character. I, yeah, over the years, I recommended this man's company to friends and family alike. I invited him into my home and I broke bread with him. Well, not bread. He didn't eat gluten. Figuratively, I, I, I shared alcohol with him. I shared meals with him. Um, I played uh, board games with uh, with him on my dining room table. Um, uh, never once did I get any indication that he was stealing from everybody who was recommending to his company. And I vehemently defended his reputation online in the first four or five months of this debacle up until I read that monitor report. And to everybody on Reddit and Twitter and uh, Discord and all the other places where you have, I guess, fought on the other side of the verbal argument with me where I'm, I was defending Jerry, I have to say to you, you were right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have defended him. But I prefer to assume everything is on the up and up first and only assume the worst when there's a reason to. Ultimately, in this case, you guys were right. Um, but then again, when, when you're just hit with the news that someone you know um, and that you spent time with just died, nothing really makes sense to you at that moment. Um, so I, I, I didn't think uh, anything untoward of it uh, until after I read the Monitor report. And then I looked back and said, oh, well, now... But before, there was more probability that it was just a crappy set of circumstances that made private keys unavailable to the remaining Quadriga staff. And then my likely narrative shifted to, well, no, now it's more likely that he actually did fake his death and he is off with all this absconded funds somewhere, hopping from island to island with his own personal plane. If anything, I think there's a higher chance that somebody killed him for what he knew and what what he could expose of other people's crimes. That, I think, is a higher possibility than him just um, randomly dying innocently while also committing the crimes. When you're, when you're dealing with laundering money uh, with multiple hundreds of millions of dollars, which is what Scepter was allegedly helping these people launder hundreds of millions of dollars. At that level, like, that's organized crime. That is, you know, that's the level where if you piss off the wrong person, you will have your life ended. So maybe that caught up to him. I think it's more likely that that stuff caught up to him than um, him dying innocently in India while opening up an orphanage. Um, and uh, who knows what what happened to Jerry, if he really did die or not. Um, my money now is on my belief that he is still alive. And he's he probably has just listened to this podcast and heard my words and... That makes me feel a little bit creepy and unsettled. 
on the next episode of Exit Scam. And I asked her uh, if she recalled a the body of a Canadian coming through, and she immediately said, yes, I was asked to embalm as a body and I refused. <laughs> At which point, of course, given all of the many questions about this case, kind of hair on the back of my neck stood up and I was like, well, why? Exit Scam is an original production of Treats Media. You can listen to the next episode right now, exclusively on the new Odyssey app. Odyssey has all the podcasts you crave, plus the music, news, and sports that matter to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Download it for free today from the App Store or Google Play. Exit Scam was written and produced by me, Aaron Lammer, and Lane Brown. Mixing and additional editing by Martin D. Fowler. Show art and art direction by Mickey Dujay. The theme song is by Francis and the Lights, and scoring from this episode was by Francis Starlight, Mark Allen Piccolo, Ross Simonini, Martin D. Fowler, and myself. Our executive producers are Max Linsky, Lane Brown, and myself for Treats Media. Additional sound editing and producing by James Nicholson. Additional producing by Jacqueline Scurry. Thank you to Jake Schreier, Patty Greco, Evan Ratliff, Jenna Weiss-Berman, Joel Lovell, Lizzie Denahan, J.D. Crowley, Ann Garrett, Jay Kang. See you next week.